This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. Governor Evers delivers his 2023-2025 budget address this Wednesday, February 15th, and shortly thereafter, the nonpartisan Legislative Fiscal Bureau digs in for analysis and summary of what's bound to be thousands of pages of proposals. Legislators have been relying on the nonpartisan Fiscal Bureau for over four and a half decades for as they debate the state's fiscal priorities. And today we're talking with LFB Director Bob Lang. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you've been director of the Fiscal Bureau since 1977 when it was created? I, I, I was. Actually, the Bureau started in the mid-60s with a grant from the Ford Foundation. And the individual responsible for that was Dale Catnaw. Dale uh, was the director of the Fiscal Bureau in 1969. The Bureau became a statutory agency of this government. Uh, Dale hired me in 71. And Dale uh, became the Secretary of Department of Transportation under Governor Schreiber in 77. and. At that time, I was appointed to be the director of the Bureau. How so, many biennial budgets do you think you I, have analyzed? I, I, it must be on 25 or 26, somewhere in there, right. What does it look like during this time of year when you and your staff are getting ready for that budget address? Well, we really get busy, very busy, right after the election, so in November. We get new legislators, we do a lot of briefings, We write a whole series of informational papers on a variety of topics that we we get out and we have a lot of legislators who have proposals they're interested in in the budget right now so it's really we have been we have been very busy and uh is this a time where you're storing up on sleep because there's a lot of work that starts after wednesday there's a lot there's a lot coming up but fortunately the staff is really strong and blessed with really great people that i'm working with and uh so we're ready for it. So uh, we'll we'll listen to the message from the governor on Wednesday, and then we will immediately begin to summarize what's in the proposal. The work begins. Well, yes. the, that budget work begins. Right. We were just looking on the screen a summary of the fiscal bureau. Tell us right. a little bit more about what the day-to-day -day work looks like throughout the year. Well, we we respond to legislative inquiries from all 132 legislators. So we do a lot of individual memos for legislators and a number of them have proposals right now that we're working on, tax proposals, uh, some spending proposals, some things that they're interested in. So the busy time for us really is the budget season and, uh, and we will remain with the budget until it's signed into law, which hopefully is sometime in early June, if not, or early July, I mean, if not a little bit sooner when the new fiscal year begins. So uh, everybody has certain responsibilities on the staff for certain agencies, certain programs, certain budgets, and uh, as soon as we get the budget, they will know exactly what to look for and how to begin to summarize what's there. You know, one thing that seems a little <clears throat> bit different this year is that record 
budget surplus. Uh, in January, your agency released uh, new estimates showing that ending the fiscal year with a uh, $7.1 billion Correct. projected surplus, uh, that's more than, one had, than what had been projected in November. Right. And last fall, the Department of Administration also reported on the Budget Stabilization Fund, right. better known as the Rainy Day Fund, saying right. that that had a balance of 1.73 billion, um, increased now to 1.76 billion, right. also a record. Right. How does that budget surplus, uh, that fiscal situation, impact the budgeting process? Would well, you, say? you know, it's interesting to look at how the surplus built up, and it really happened throughout the pandemic, <clears throat> which began in. January, February, March of 2020. <clears throat> Our fiscal year, as you know, is July to June. So we finished the 2021 budget with about a $2.5 billion surplus, which was a large number uh, on the general fund itself. And then last year, it was 4.3, and we're just projecting for this fiscal year, it'll be 7.1. So it really has grown throughout the pandemic. Tax collections have been really strong, and uh, there have been federal monies that have come in. In particular, medical assistance program, which is a federal state program for basically low-income individuals, some elderly, blind, and disabled for health care. And that's a large part of state It's a spending. very large part of it. And the federal government typically matches what the state puts in at 60%, 40%. State puts in 40, federal government puts in 60 for, for, the, for the program. During the pandemic, they increased that for every state by 6.2%. So we went from 60% to 66.2%. And that continued for 13 quarters. It, it's just, and it will continue through March of this year at 6.2, then it phases out throughout the rest of the year. So that but contributed that brought to in, the surplus. We brought in a net amount, probably around $2 billion in the medical assistance program. So we were able to spend less state money for that program and use the federal, the federal dollars. So with the strong tax collections and then with the, uh, the medical assistance money that we got from the federal government, those things all really contributed to this surplus. Have you ever seen a state in a similar fiscal situation in the past? The only one that that comes to mind was uh, was in the in the Great Recession in 07, 08, into 09, where the federal the stimulus money from the federal government was really strong. So we got a lot of money from them for uh, for elementary and secondary education and medical assistance programs. So that aspect, to some extent, we've seen but not in the size and the amount. And that really, uh, that was a, we weren't, we were really have not been in the recession like we were then. So that was a, a real difference. We just have significant revenues coming in. Do you see that surplus changing the way both the governor and legislators are talking about the budget? Do you anticipate a different type of budget season? I think what's important for policymakers to understand, and I believe that they do, is that much of that money in the surplus really is one-time money, monies that were generated over the last two or three or four years. Uh, so they have to be cautious about how much they put into permanent ongoing programs or ongoing tax cuts. Uh, 
versus looking at some of it that maybe we ought to deal with on a, on a one-time basis, realizing that that kind of growth that we had will likely not be realized going forward. Anything else particularly unique about this biennial budget, do you think, as a compared to years past? Um, I think the size of the surplus is the, is, is the primary issue. But I, I think the issues that the legislature will address in many cases will be similar to past budgets. I suspect they'll look for reduction in taxes, probably income taxes. I think medical assistance is always a, 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 a topic that needs to be addressed. K-12 uh, schools, K-12 shared schools. revenue. Yeah, right, we'll and, I, and I think, yeah, and shared revenue, and there's some interest on the part of the legislature and, and the governor on providing more funding for local units of government, which have effectively been not increased for 20 years. So there, there'll be a real push to do something, I believe, for local governments. So for those people who aren't particularly familiar, can you provide a general overview of what happens in that budget process, kind of the timeline? So the governor will give the address on Wednesday, joint session of the legislature, they'll meet in the assembly. I think the speech is scheduled for seven at night. Um, the finance committee, the committee that we staff and work for, it's called the Joint Committee on Finance. It's a 16-member committee, eight representatives of the assembly, eight senators. It's been in existence since 1911. Uh, its duties are pretty much the same since 1911. In large part, all bills that affect revenues and expenditures must be referred to the finance committee before they can be enacted. They, by law, will meet right after the speech and introduce the bill. In our legislature, only legislators or legislative committees may introduce bills. So the governor can't, the attorney general can't, whatever. So they, by law, are required to meet immediately after the speech, but they will. They'll introduce the bill. It will be, as, it will be very voluminous. I assume there'll be a thousand or plus pages. So we take, in the Fiscal Bureau, we take about four weeks. The legislature says for four weeks, you folks just give us a layperson summary of everything that's in the budget, agency by agency, item by item. So and that in itself, it up there we, we, we will know as soon as we get the budget, we'll start to, we'll start to split it up and everybody has responsibility for certain sections. So now we're about mid-March mid or so. Then, then the Finance Committee, it's in the Finance Committee. It will stay in the Finance Committee until it goes to the floor for vote probably in late June. And the activities that the committee will be involved in will be a kind of an informational period where they may ho have some briefings of some state agencies that may come in and talk to the committee about what they like or don't like about what's in the budget for them. The committee will do public hearings. Those will usually be end of March sometime. And your team travels with? I travel with them, yes. I go in the 16 members, right. And we typically, the committee typically goes around the state. They'll go north, south, east, west, and, and it'll be in a UW facility, in a tech college facility, in a high school gymnasium, whatever. And I don't know how many. The chairs will make a determination on how many they'll have, but you know, we typically go to three to five to seven different locations. They invite anybody in from the public who wants to speak, and the hearings typically get hundreds of people who will show up, 
sometimes more than that, sometimes in the thousands, depending. Is that your on advice for someone who's not particularly familiar with the budget? Is that the part to watch? I think so. I think the first part is if you can get access, uh, we put all of our documents uh, on our website. So if, you, if you're interested in knowing what's in the budget, I think looking at the summary Fiscal Bureau that we summaries. put together is really a, a good place Easier to Easier to read than I, some of the yeah, other. Yeah, hopefully it is, and uh, hopefully it, it really lays out exactly what the governor has recommended. I think seeing that will be helpful. And at the hearings, uh, the chairs and the members will all be there. Anybody who wants to speak can come up and speak. Hundreds of people will speak. Yes. Yeah, right. And usually they allow three to five or so minutes per person to get up and talk about what they like or don't like about the, the budget. And uh, When will we have a signed budget this year? I think, I think the goal is always to get it as close to July 1 as possible. Our fiscal year begins on July 1. So doesn't our fiscal always happen that way, though. No, we've had some where it's, I mean, the first one I ever worked on went into November. We've had some that happened September or maybe October. But I think the goal of the legislature, and those typically were when government was divided, when one house was controlled by one party, the other house by the other party. So I, I think the goal will, will be, let's try to get it done by July, July 1. What, what's your favorite biennial budget memory? Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think maybe the very first one that I was there, just because I really didn't understand a lot about what, what was happening. What year was that? Oh, that would have been like the 71-3 budget. But it was just to, to be there, to be sitting there observing the process. And I think maybe it was at that point I decided, hey, this is something I really enjoy. I, I want to make this, you know. But... I've worked with wonderful people, both parties, wonderful members of the committee, chairs that I still have in contact with and and uh, deal on a personal level as well as a professional level. So it's been, it's been very enjoyable. Uh, we want to show a graph from the Department of Administration around the top, and the Fiscal Bureau, right. the top 10 programs okay. in the state budget. Uh, these 10 programs make up 82% of total state revenue spending. The largest budget area is school funding at one-third of spending, followed by medical assistance, corrections, the UW system, school levy tax credits, uh, shared revenue. We go down on the line. We'll keep that um, slide up there for people to kind of take a look okay. at. So do you... Do you have any predictions? We talked a little bit about this, about major themes in the budget and how some of these top 10 programs might fare this time around. Yeah, I, just one point on, on the slide. So the state's budget is about $45 billion all funds, mm -hmm. okay? The general fund, which the slide refers to, is funded by income, individual income, corporate income, sales tax dollars, and some other ta excise taxes, cigarettes, beer, wine, liquor, utility taxes, a few other. So that's the general fund, which is about 20 or 21 billion of that total 45. Mm -hmm. And so the slide that your viewers are looking at are the general fund programs. So it excludes, the other, the other large things are federal monies, federal. program revenue monies, which are user fees and segregated dollars like motor fuel 
taxes, vehicle registration, So it's et bigger than this, but it's this is what your ta- state tax dollars that. are paying your for. State tax dollars are paying for that, right. Um, from, again, income and sales taxes primarily. So if, if, if we were to go back and do that same chart over time, it's going to be fairly similar to those percentages. Those Schools tens. are about 33%, medical assistance 17 so you got 50% of the budget in those two programs. And then, as you indicated, I think corrections, university, mm-hmm. represent about six, six and a half percent, mm-hmm. and then a few others. But in total, as your slide shows, that's almost 82% of the state's budget is in 10 you places. You don't see any big changes in that? I think, uh, I think in the last budget, we would have seen some change in medical assistance because all of the federal dollars that came in that I mentioned earlier so we probably were a little lower on medical assistance from the state side because of that, that federal additional monies. federal money that that came in. That might you know that might change some, but I I think overall we may see as I mentioned earlier I think there'll be an interest in local government. I suspect the shared revenue part that's there we'll really aids aids the towns, villages, cities, counties, etc. We'll probably see some some type of an increase. Um, but you're in the ballpark those on those percentages, mm-hmm. right? They're pretty much there. Yes. We mentioned earlier this record rainy day fund. Right. Uh, Fiscal Bureau says that fund was created after a significant mm-hmm. economic downturn in the 1980s. Yeah. Yes, it was. Do you have, a, a, uh, is there a recommendation on what a state like Wisconsin should have in terms of a rainy day fund? Just as just as some background, as you mentioned, it started in '85. Governor Earl was Tony Earl was the governor then. We had a couple of bad economic years in the early '80s, and so Governor Earl uh, put something in the budget. I believe it was in his budget that said we should set up this budget stabilization fund, rainy day fund, to put ourselves in a position where we can deal with downturns. And initially, there was a, a requirement that Department uh, of Administration secretaries, cabinet individuals, would make a recommendation how much money in each budget ought to be put in the fund. Frankly, that was not particularly successful. There was not much effort on the part, regardless of party, of any of those governors to advance uh, an, an amount for it. But then in about 2001, 2002, I think it was, there was a provision that the legislature adopted which basically said if our tax collections exceed what we had budgeted for, half of that excess will go into the budget stabilization fund. And that's when it really began to pick up. Especially and it's been the growing last over the years. last several years. It has been growing. And so we're at we're at a billion seven hundred and sixty million right now in that fund, which is about nine percent of the state's general fund budget. At the time, and I think a lot of states were looking at rainy day funds back in the years mm-hmm. that you mentioned, and sort of the, the mark that, age, that states looked at was somewhere between 5 and 10% of your general fund budget. So we're at about 9 right now. Um, interest rates are better. We're getting about $6 million a month on interest earnings on the, sta- on the stabilization fund. So you you know that's a that's a that's a goodly sum, so it just keeps marching. Is up. there a way to say whether or not it's enough? Well, that's a 
that that that's that's a that's a good question. I don't know what that particular amount would be. The thing about downturns, you get an economic downturn. You never know what the federal government will do. But if you look at our two most recent experiences, the pandemic, although it was not an economic downturn, it was just people thought it would be, but it didn't turn into it. But it was a uh, it was I mean for, indiv for some individuals it certainly was. But the federal government did an awful, put an awful lot of money into states and individuals. And so the we same, didn't have to dip into that rainy Right. Paper. And the same thing occurred back in the recession in 07, 08, where uh, President Obama and the stimulus money from Congress came in. So it's hard to always say, is it enough? Because the, the big unknown is how does the federal government react also? But it certainly... It certainly is a is a is a, is a is a sum. The other thing that 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 the legislature did is we have in our law that even if we have excess revenues come in above budgeted amounts, no transfer will be made if the stabilization fund equals five percent of your estimated general fund expenditure. So we're at about nine now. So we had we didn't make a transfer this last year. Uh, we don't think the growth in revenues will be what it was, at least on a percentage basis, as it was in the last couple of years. So there likely won't be that big amount. But it's it's held there, and certainly, uh, almost a billion eight is a is a nice sum to, sum to start from. Right. Uh, your January projections also included an economic forecast, which right. kind of talks about some of these issues. Right. We've certainly heard legislators sharing some concerns about a potential recession. Right. What did the right. Fiscal Bureau say about the potential for a recession impacting Wisconsin in the near future? We, uh, we, uh, we use a, an economics firm called uh, S&P Global. They do national forecast for us. We're, we have a contract with them as a Department of Revenue. They were looking in this year at a mild recession right around now, in, 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 in the spring, ending in probably the end of the second or third quarter of this year. So it's not something like we re what we saw back, you know, 12 years ago or so. But our tax collections, uh, we're projecting... Uh, Tax collections next year about nine tenths of a percent. The following year about uh, three point nine percent. Those, you just look historically. Our tax collection growth runs around three percent or so. Uh, it, it's hard to always judge it because tax changes come into effect. You know, if we get a big number, we'll cut income taxes or something. But roughly, it's there. So I think we're looking at growth in the out years. We'll be back to what normal sort of what normal growth has has been. So does that economic forecast say caution? Does it yeah. say what they what they typically do is they'll 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 say here's our here's our consensus forecast. This is our best judgment, but we'll assign twenty percent optimistically if something you know everything goes great. You know war ends in Ukraine, all all supply issues are done. It's optimistic, and then there's also, hey, it could be a longer. So there's a pessimistic. So we we always think it's it's important to, in our revenue estimates, to not be overly optimistic or pessimistic. I think it's important to be in a in a in a consensus sort of place going forward. I mean, we get more money, 
we can adjust. If we get less money, hopefully we can adjust. But we, we try to be in a, a reasonable position rather than an overly optimistic or overly pessimistic position. You mentioned this in the beginning that part of the Fiscal Bureau's job is kind of educating and supporting legislators right. and particularly new faces. There right. have been a lot of retirements over the last yes. year. I think there's yes. 24, two dozen right. or so new faces. How steep is the budget learning curve for new legislators? Um, we get, I would say, on average, we'd look back at all elections for the legislature. I think we're looking at about a 20% turnover every year. I think we're a little higher than that this year. Um, some people don't run. Some people uh, leave for another, you know, another reason, another job. Some people retire. Some people lose. Uh, but so you, you get around 20 or so percent. Um, and I think the way the legislature functions is that the current legislators who have been here for a couple of years will work to some extent as mentors for those who come in. Um, we provide, you know, we do we do briefings for the new legislature. I've done one a couple times on the on the budget, how to read the budget, you know, where our funds come in to, where our big programs are, et cetera. So hopefully uh, they will sort of get up to speed with our assistance and with the others who are here. At, it oh. doesn't take long and they'll 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 be involved. You've seen in the it process. happen before. Absolutely. Well we just lost a thirty two year veteran in Senator Alberta Darling, I a longtime co chair of I joint know. finance. I know. That loss of institutional knowledge, not just her, but other right. Senator right. Olson, other people that really were there right. for a long time, it must right. impact the process. Right. And and uh, and the two that you mentioned were were not only long-serving legislators, but really uh, did uh, did some wonderful things while while they were here. Um, so you do lose that. The, the, to some extent, I would hope that our office and the other legislative service agencies, the attorneys in the legislative council, the bill drafters and analysts in the reference bureau, the people uh, that work in the audit bureau. I think that, and I certainly hope that we are able to supply some of that institutional knowledge. Fill in that, that gap. Even though we're not voting on the floor, I hope that we can do that, and I think that we do. And so, if a legislator has an idea about doing something, our institutional memory basically says, six years ago somebody did the same thing, but we'll tell you what the what you ought to think about when you're doing it. Okay, here's sort of some of the resistance that that person came into, and maybe you can improve it some way or do something for it. But uh, I hope that I hope that we fill that gap. We haven't talked about the governor's veto. Right. The governor's veto power. Wisconsin's governor thought to had one of the most powerful, maybe the most powerful yes. veto pen yes. in the country. Yes. I think Governor Evers. Uh, last year uh, did 50 partial right. vetoes. Governor, right. Former Governor Walker had an average, I think, right. of about 77 Probably. or so. Right. Right. What, uh, tell us a little bit about that veto power. So the, 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 I'll, go, I'll go to the Constitution. To understand it, it's important to understand what's in the Constitution. So our Constitution says when a bill is passed by the legislature, it goes to the governor. The governor can do three things. He can sign it and it becomes law. 
he can veto the bill, and then it doesn't become law unless they override. By and that's never happened. Up. No, never happened on a budget. I mean, they've done bills where they've just vetoed. And the third thing is they can do, no do nothing, and s after six days, excluding Sunday, it becomes law. So if you don't do anything. So those are the three things the governor can do. A difference is if the bill has an appropriation in it, what the Constitution calls an appropriation bill, then the governor can veto it in whole or in part. The key words are in part. And we've had, I think, a half a dozen or so Supreme Court cases, our Supreme Court, that have looked at what in part means. And this is where, this is where the governor's strength is in the, in, in, in the veto process. It doesn't say he has to veto a paragraph or a section or a, a program. It says in part. And the courts have always opined that a part is anything in the four corners of the bill. So, for example, mm -hmm. right, a word, uh, a dollar amount. Uh, Governor Thompson, uh, Governor Thompson did this. I think it was challenged in court. Court said it was okay. Uh, that he, you could take a number, let's say a million dollars. There's an appropriation for a million dollars for a program. The governor would veto the million and write in 900,000 or 500,000. And the court opined those lower numbers are all a part of a million, therefore a governor can do it. Can't increase a number, though. Correct. So it, that's the, that is unique, I believe, among state, uh, state veto authorities, is the uniqueness, and again, it's those key words, in, in part. part. We have passed two constitutional amendments, the voters did, on the veto. One is the governors can no longer veto letters of a word to create a new word. The Vanna White? The Vanna White veto. Like cannot, can't become can. By, okay? And the other one is a governor cannot blend two sentences together and create a new sentence by dropping certain words. Yeah, right. So those are the two things. But it has, he has a lot of, uh, has a lot of uh, authority. In Another the thing to watch if you're new to the budget, what happens after when it gets to the governor's desk, right? Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, as we run out of time, I want to ask you, what, it, what do you like best about biennial budget season? I think, uh, first of all, I, 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 I'm, I'm really pleased. I think Wisconsin has done the right thing by budgeting for a two-year period. About 40% of the states budget for two years, 60 budget annually. And I'm, I'm glad we're not, this is, a, this is a tough process. It would be exhausting. Yeah, it would be. And I think, I think the legislature has made a wise decision to continue to do it on a biennial basis. So it gives them opportunity to work on other legislation other times during a legislative session. So we're not just constantly focused entirely on the budget. So that... That, that that was a good decision. I'm glad they do it that way. Um, I, I I think it it, it creates a, a a better environment for but balancing the budget, making sure priorities are addressed. So that's I mean that's that's your favorite that's one. part. Well, that's one, and I do it. I'm engaged by the process. I really am. I like the even though we're 
we're nonpartisan. I like the political aspects of what's going on in the Capitol. I'd I, I like to see new members come in to the legislature who someday are on the finance committee and the next day they're leaders and you know that that's what our that's what our system is we've just had we've had uh, we've been blessed to have wonderful people represent this state in the in the two houses so you're gonna stick around for a few more biennial budgets I always tell the, the leaders um, I'll go through another one and at the end I'll let you know if I want to do another one or not so I'm totally committed to going through this budget for sure and then we'll see you know I've been at it a long time. We'll see what I do after this one. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civic broadcast network, providing gavel-to-gavel -gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol.